0: Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio.
1: I just think it's important that, to say without being a complete weirdo that, that, you know, man, you're a real hero to me. You know, I think for, for any of us that, that kind of do what what we do and, and, and coming up when I came up, you know, it's not just like the performances you've, you've laid down and, and just uncompromising uh, commitment to your choices and the kind of artist you are, but also the life you've lived. I just have just complete and utter reverence for you, man, and, and, and I hope that doesn't color this too much, uh, but but I, I just want to start out with just real gratitude. Well, I, that you're doing I have
0: it for you. I think, you know, you are once a sensational <laughs> actor, and when I, I told you when I first saw that conversation you did with shy. I just thought, well, that wasn't going to be, I won't say brought out of him. Uh, with someone else because he is such an incredible runner and very spontaneously. But there was something about the patience and the care that you gave your subject in it that made it really great.
1: In the film, in the documentary, Superpower, you started with, a, with a, a, a quote, and um, I was wondering if we could just talk about that, that quote a little bit. Um, I got it written down here. I can read it if you, yeah, you want me to read it? Sure. Yeah. In the time of your life, live. So in that good time, there shall be no ugliness or death for yourself or any life your life touches. Seek goodness everywhere. And when it is found, bring it out of its hiding place and let it be free and unashamed. In the time of your life, live, so that in that wondrous time you shall not add to the misery and sorrow of the world, but smile to the infinite delight and mystery of it. So you said that you carried that quote around with you for a long time in in, in your wallet and it had a particular uh, resonance while you were in the Ukraine. Um, I'm just wondering... When did that start? When did how did you find that quote? Uh, when was the first time it had significant meaning for you? What has it meant for you? And why did it have such resonance while you were there? There's
0: was a woman named Martine Getty. She introduced me to a guy named Roy. Now, now Roy had the I gather had the place on Sunset Boulevard where all the fancy people would go, and and I think that they would. Uh, uh, go to extreme lengths to have a very good time at Roy's. <laughs> yeah. And that was the 70s, you know, and um, that line is stolen from Warren Beatty. said that about Jack Nicholson, a man who'd go to extreme lengths to get into a good mood. <laughs> but uh, but it was that <clears throat> kind of it was that place. yeah. And so Roy was, I guess, a very colorful uh, very liked host. Uh, and he had it in his head that he want, he, he might want to direct a play. And he got uh, Penelope Milford, uh, who had just, you know, been nominated for an Academy Award for *Coming Home*. He got uh, uh, Bobby Newarth, who was with Big Brother and the Holding Company. He got Carlos Palomino, who'd, you know, just uh, rocked the ring for many years. He he got Marissa Berenson. He got this cast for William Saroyan's The Time of Your Life. Mm. And they needed the newsboy. And the newsboy would not have been of age to go into Roy's and play like the big boys played and the girls played. (laughs) Uh, But um, so they were auditioning at the Actors Studio West out here. And I got an audition through this woman I I knew in class who knew Roy. and. Yeah, I felt like I got, I think he was so relieved to have a young person show up for that thing. And I guess they didn't cast a wide net or put it in Dramalogue or any of those traditional ways we'd find out about the audition, sit in the church for six hours to read a few lines and get rejected. But here it was more like you walked in the door and he was busy and, you know, maybe, they were, maybe he was uh, busy and busy, you know. He was. He, was uh, he had a lot of energy that day, and he just pretty much cast me. So here we are. I go to Sam French before going down there, and I pick up the play. And Soroyan had written a, a kind of, a, an introduction, a, a kind of a preface to the play that I think you'd only find in the, the actual playbook whether or not anybody had ever used it maybe having a solo performer come out and speak those words to set up a tone or or at the end or something one could imagine i don't know but the play was remarkable i found out that it had been the most performed play in the american theater Uh, universities had done it everywhere it toured everywhere, and really just kind of writing and uh a look at the world that was new to me. But that piece just really, really struck me. And then <clears throat> I went into the third rehearsal, and in the play I sing When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. I had not warned Roy before the first two rehearsals that when I sing, it damages people. <laughs> and and <laughs> I say that like with a serious face because I... You know i know it's going to sound like a joke but it damn fucked up people, yeah. <laughs> i've had this you know the singing teachers say no 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 you anybody can sing you've just got it and then you know you'll never see those people again as they stop <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i hear roy from the you know the, the classic lights are in your eyes on the stage he's in the dark the actor's studio he says uh, hey, sean just today uh just uh, just talk the song through Needless to say I got fired and took the job as the understudy never got to go on which was good for <laughs> but I came away with this incredible uh
1: this thing yeah yeah you carried it around with you uh what, what can you kind of talk about what it meant to you what it means what 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 the quote means how it's guided you yeah I think um
0: it was potent to me when this these words that so encourage the best of us the the least judgmental of us the most compassion the most um, uh, gratitude for this big miracle of life that we've been given by something right and with each other and in that if the time comes in the time of your life to kill Kill and have no regret. In that context, did I see that this was a, in my view, a, what the weapons that these people were wanting to supply were not the weapons of hatred. They were not the weapons of fear. They were the, the weapons to necessitate the freedom and security of those that were attacked. And so I think that I had felt that thing many, as many of us feel, certainly my generation. And I, and I think I would guess with a person like you, that we come up against whatever that is where we've got to be tough about mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and not necessarily have it um, associated with the ugly, fearful violence that comes of male ego. Mm -hmm. but this noble will to kill to do something that is not in our nature that is going to damage us but for a greater good and so the ukrainians have all that spirit and it's so tangible of they will not be denied their humanity their freedom and their really all in it together and if they have to kill as they are having to do now that's a kindness Mm. to their the future generations it's a gift and Soroyan was able to not get caught up in the in the way that we um soften a culture i think that there's so so too much tolerance where the privilege to soften exists people fall for it and you know it's talked a lot about in terms of uh, masculinity uh being under siege well i i don't see it as under siege and i don't think it's just a question of masculinity because god knows <clears throat> the thing i'm talking about equal involved equally involves women over there uh toughness and it's a beautiful thing it's a it's a tragic circumstance that lets a, a dumb kid from LA like me be able to see it that clearly. You need to be, make it really loud and clear, but boy, are they? So this, that's, I, you know, I, I, if I could say it better than that, I'd be Saroyan writing yeah, yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's essentially what it, what it is.
1: You know, I, I often think about, you know, growing up, you, you know, there's, there's such fear-based and shame-based, uh, violence that I think young men perpetrate um, because they're scared shitless and because they're um, ashamed of something or they're not getting love from somewhere. And, and, and I remember growing up, it was uh, when I would talk about, you know, at the time of my life where, where, where you know, my friends and I were, were, um, you know, getting into a lot of uh, street fights and there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, and, and, and not on a scale that, that, that so many people in this country sort of have to deal with day in and day out. But I remember it was always uh, what, what it was kind of whittled down to for me, it was a way of showing your friends that you were there for them, that you had your back and that there's that, that, that kernel of uh, standing up and love. And I guess when you take it to the, to, to the extreme of what these folks are, are, are going through over there, um, you know, where all of a sudden, I mean, how, 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 how would you define it? How is it, is it, um, is it honor? I guess you use the word standing up. I mean, how, how what did you recognize over there in those folks from that quote, the fearlessness to take up arms mm-hmm. and and the necessity to do it. How 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 would you define that?
0: I think that you know feeling powerful, and I and by powerful I'm not now talking about an adolescent view of that nor a authoritarian view of it, but you look at what we're part of. You know, going back to how Soroyan celebrated the delighting and, and the wonder and the mystery of this big place, right? As part of that, we're part of that power, right? And in community, we, we become stronger, healthier. Yeah. A democracy becomes stronger and healthier, and they work for each other. What's there is getting that human necessity fulfilled and you feel it because you feel it I feel it because I'm not getting that necessity fulfilled in the United States of America right now. I don't feel the power of us mm. of us mm. in this place. Mm. In Ukraine, you get off the plane and it is a different kind of air you're breathing and with all the horror and all the suffering and damage and sacrifice and death, there's also this power of unity. And you feel it, you really feel it. And it's that that was the catalyst of these years of the seed of Soroyan, you know, in, in, well, not what I am, but what I hunger to be and to to see in a community. Because it without, except perhaps for some sociopaths, anywhere in the world you know it's that power people are seeking and sometimes we think of it as a as a as a luxury but it, it it really is a need that sometimes is not fulfilled by one generation and so there's a sadness in the losses of those generations that never got to have it and what's not all wrong about fighting when you're a young man you know it, there's that, that you did you with whatever the the fears are the ego things that we go through. Yeah. You know when you're talking about making well, loving, feeling community, feeling power in that moment, even if unformed, it's an essential thing and maybe a better alternative than feeling not feeling it at all as a young man or woman, which I is very common today me too. you know and i would never say hey everybody should go scrap again you know but but there was some value in some of those mistakes we
1: made absolutely which were the the collateral stuff of that bonding and 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 the bonding and the i mean look i i think the, the the film captures the 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 tenor and the atmosphere of of an impending attack and 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 um i i mean the only thing that i can really compare it to is uh is an is, is restrepo is another documentary that i love so much and that 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 going through the reality of that through through w- with with marines and with the military this does it on a civilian level and on a political level for what these how these people bonded how they and a lot of that came down to sort of the timing of, of of the entire project, can you just kind of walk us through what this thing set out to be, and then what it turned into? Yeah, yeah. By the way, these are fantastic.
0: This is, and if you the smoke bothers you too much, you can see. just do that and it blows it away. Um, it's
1: for the camera. This is for a camera, right? You
0: no, know, I I use it for even you know just to clean up because uh, yeah I'm a little OCD Gosh, on that that huh. That's why I got those mini vacs over there. Um, so. Yeah, so we, it was it was in this room. My friend, I had a friend, Billy Smith, who p- produced this with me. And Billy and I, Billy's an actor. You know him. Yeah. Yeah. And I had not ever met him. I didn't know who he was. We met at the uh, CGI.
1: He was a cop, right? He, was he a cop? He
0: was a cop. Yeah, I met was, him,
1: like, way back in the day. He was so fucking yeah. good to me, man. One of my first gays, dude.
0: He's a fantastic guy. Yeah. He 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 was a a, a Boston PD cop. Yes. He was a UN police officer who posted in a few different countries, and and an actor throughout, and a, and a marine. Uh, he was, you know, stationed out of Kuwait uh, in the first Gulf War but always an actor had even even when he was you know a, 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 a cop he would get ragged by his fellow cops for going off and doing that pansy thing he was doing or whatever i
1: know i know, you know that the well, theater bro. groups and
0: such so yeah, yeah yeah and um and we met at the at the CGI in New York when he had made a do, an, an interesting documentary about Pakistan and i was starting to think about making documentaries a little bit. We talked, we became friends. And so then we set off to make a couple that didn't happen. I went down to Syria a couple of times during the war and uh, met Assad and had the idea that we would do this uh, documentary about how is he still standing five years after the Arab Spring. And then we'll go talk to the Russians and the United States and the Jordanians. We'll uh, the lebanese we we'll get we'll try to get how is how did this guy manage after everybody said he's, he he was counted out right and i am not saying this cell in a celebratory way uh but i was going to approach it very we'll see what what comes and at first assad was extremely open and uh he he, he you know certainly knew how to talk to um a Westerner who's coming over to make a documentary and say things that would um, sound very rational and so on. And bit by bit, it closed down, uh, you know, the, well, we did say you could talk to some ISIS uh, prisoners, it, but now you can't, do. or you, or well, we did say you could talk to the former opposition press because with the war, there were no opposition press. Uh, we did say that you could, you know, not have a minder and go talk to whoever you want on the street. But now, let's say you can't do those things. Let's see what else you can do. And I, we walked away from it. I I didn't feel that I was the guy to do that documentary, that investigative journalist one where you're told no by everything and you keep going. I wanted to see if I could do, you know, the trust one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just felt that's where I would have something of value added. And when I saw, I couldn't really get it, and I don't know if, if it was him or or his gatekeepers, but it got shut down. So then, we had tried on another one about Khashoggi, and while we were in Istanbul, uh, we found out there was another filmmaker already doing it, very well financed, very good filmmaker, and our interest was that the film a film on Khashoggi get done, and we thought that you know that guy's got it. So we left that one. We're kind of looking for, and I, I obviously we were attracted to where maybe my access could get us in on the, one of the more urgent stories sure. in the world. Now we here in America hear about um, you know a bad phone call between our president yeah. uh, Donald Trump and uh, the president of Ukraine. Yeah, and you know you you have more regional. Uh, experience having lived in Russia and so on but I I knew very little about Ukraine and but I, I, I had been intrigued about this this comedic actor who you know played a, a, a teacher who gets suddenly a right in candidate, becomes the president and he's got a successful show you know it's the co- comedic West Wing, he's Martin Sheen yeah. and then he runs for the real presidency and wins, oh, yeah. it would be Martin Sheen as president. It's, it's fucking not. wild. Wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. either. Yeah. Um, so, Martin <laughs> Sheen, I mean, not I, just I generically no, no, actors. No, but so this is long before the the, the Russian buildup. Uh, this pre-COVID, and Billy came to me with the idea because he had contact Zelensky. He met somebody who knew him, and I said that might be that might be fun. You know, getting in ourselves and all this heavy stuff, and you know, running into doors and this lighthearted, whimsical tale of this actor. So we started pursuing it, and then, uh, then COVID happened, and we were delayed. And over COVID, we, I got to meet President Zelensky uh, over Zoom. Um, very engaging guy. Uh, and sort of told him what I'd like to do. And it comes down to this, what kind of documentary can I offer that's going to be you know, have a place with all the great documentarians out there and, and doing the things. Why get in the way? Uh, and, and it was going to be if I could create, I don't know, some kind of a special uh, candor, or trust, and and and, and have an unguardedness of personal, not not a Barbara Walters sort of personal, but you know, a vibe. Sure. And I also noted that you know he 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 spoke better English than he thought he did. Uh, and I, I thought it would be great to share this guy with America and that it might be good to try to get him to speak English in this thing. Um, conversations would flow better also because I wouldn't be going through a translator. So by the time we actually got to see him, because it was not, um, I don't think that I was motivated enough to go and spend 14 days in a hotel room to maybe see him. Right. Uh, and, and we just put it off till the COVID thing ended. And by the time we got there, by the time we could sort of get everything back going, it was in November 2021. And yes, the buildup had, was, was in the news. It was simmering. There were about, I think, 75, 85,000 troops, uh, Russian troops uh, at the border, some equipment moving. But as we know, within I don't know, a month of that, it was nearly 200,000 troops and, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And, um, so we, we went to see him in November and that did not work out because some, there was a very, very intricate, intricate, um, um, operation to capture, just in a sting operation to capture by name, by face, the guys the Wagner group guys who had brought down that airliner uh, a couple of years earlier. Yeah. And when we got there in November, just as they were going to nab them and it's all open source to read about what they did. It's really interesting, led by Ukrainian intelligence, but I think with help from our guys in the UK. Um, and uh, th- there was a leak and they, they, they all pfft, scattered. And there was some suspicion that it was someone in the president's office. So they were under crisis management and couldn't see us. So we went, she picked up the culture a little bit. We went out to the, to Mariupol, the front lines of the, you know, the existing problems since 2014. And, um, you know, took it all in. Met with a lot of different kinds of people. By the time we were able to come back and, to be told that if you can come and stay a week, the president will find a time to see you. That's great. Let's go. That was February 2022. Okay. So we were, were there, and we are being patient with it. You know, we know, we're confident he's going to see us. But by the time I was leaving, um, there was already... The maximum travel advisory in place. You know, it was hot. Uh, in fact, they were saying it's going to happen tomorrow for about a week and a half, and tomorrow would come and tomorrow would go. You didn't. You didn't see it happening. I started out not believing it was going to happen. Mm. I, I was still in February, early February. I was a- absolutely. I understood that that all intel. You know that whether you're, wherever you were hearing it. <clears throat> were believing it was happening. But there were a couple of key people who knew the region really well, who, like me, felt uh, there's no upside in this for Putin. You know, you're just gonna, you break it, you buy it, you're gonna have, I'd gotten to know Ukraine well enough, they were, they were, gonna, they were, gonna, they were gonna fight, they, yeah. they, would, they would all be willing to die before they'd let this happen. And, and that would be true if the Russian invasion had succeeded in February. And did you have a sense of that on the ground? I mean, could
1: you feel that oh, already? Oh, I, right. hundred yeah, percent.
0: Like yeah. like nothing I'd ever, part of what we were talking about earlier, yeah. this unity thing was, they, they all had a, a red fucking, cape on them, yeah. in my view, they just ready to go. And within that, which is a really important thing, I have a blanket around here somewhere from the railroad, the Ukrainian railroad motto is iron and soft. And it's exactly the, to me, the Soroyan piece to the iron you have to maintain your humanity and you've got to laugh and sing and you know they it did there's so many touching stories of how gentle warriors but man warriors is in block letters the the symbolic victory that would have been the most and and what we all likely thought would have happened victory of the russians would only have been symbolic they would have bought generations of insurgencies yeah. there would never have been what why the hell what what good is this for russia yeah so you we you know we're getting the calls and, and you, you on your cell phone now you, you're not getting texts that have black letters now you're getting red letters from the state department saying you know americans should not and so on but it didn't uh, and then, so by that time we we felt like it was going to happen because he'd had, now we're late in that week, Putin had given the speech, the red line speech. And he, it was an extreme speech. And I, now I didn't sense that there was, that he could back off of that. And so, fuck, this thing's actually going to happen. And then your heart gets into it because their hearts that ownership of the need to dream for freedom is everything that we've grown up with. It just, it, it suddenly triggers you into something that's a, a primal and, and it becomes, I now love these people, these people that, so I meet Zelensky on the 23rd. And I had always said to him, I don't want, the first time we meet face to face, I don't want to have a camera there. Because I thought that if we were going to have that, that kind of a thing, we can't have it from go on camera. Yeah. Similar to wanting to, you know, meet you before okay. we did this, totally. you know, it's just better you, yeah. you, in the room of the person. Not... And we had a, a really good meeting and agreed that we would start shooting the next day. And... Yes, reasonable people at that time, and I had become one, felt that any day now this thing's going to happen. And you want to celebrate the soft also, mm-hmm. and live here and be, with, you know, and see that guy who is being human in the face of this thing, mm. and then we went back to the hotel and that uh light-hearted tale of a comedic actor turned president got rewritten on us in fairly dramatic fashion and so we i don't know i i don't remember if i actually got to sleep but i remember my eyes were closed when those first rockets came in and it was okay the world just changed and it was uh it was really it was the only i keep talking about this film and i can only say it was so heartbreaking that you didn't experience any fear you know even as someone not involved in that on that level and you just i felt like this is world changing this is going to test my kids and those kids i saw earlier today in Kiev, that and that man that I met this afternoon, met the me previous afternoon, he's a, a wartime president against a nuclear power. Yeah. It was too big to process. Yeah. So we we're up all night, of course, trying to figure out every get get a real situational clarity, and um, uh, and we got a call in the morning from the president's office saying. Let's do this. (laughs) You know, we're just started, you know. And uh, I just thought he might be too busy. But (laughs) he was so, and has shown, how smart and clear-minded he knows this world. And he knows that if you're going to have victory, you've got to communicate. And this is an opportunity. The gamble is on whether I or my partners will do it well. But we're the ones that are, there. that are there, and it's an opportunity on this day to share with the American people an essential ally, right? And so I, I think that I was within the context of what, of the circumstances, it just is so extremely lucky to have had the opportunity to be there at that time. Um, mm-hmm. And then it became the uh, then it became this documentary superpower, and, yeah, um, yeah.
1: You've got Republicans in office who are uh, already <sighs> tirading against support for Ukraine. And, uh, and now everybody's focused on what's focused on what's going on in the Middle East. So uh, where do you think this is going? What do you want? How, how do you look at it?
0: Well, here's how
1: I look at it. It, it,
0: it circles back to this idea of power. Who, who do we want it to have been? And what do we want the result of who we were to be for our children for generations to come we are disavowing any claim of loving our children if we allow these things to go forward we're just fucking saying fuck you i don't care because i want to be a big shot now and being a big shot now is i'm going to say we're america only we know we were never america only right that doesn't work it doesn't work and and that's and it's true on the left also all of those people who are You know, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm with Robert Kennedy Jr. who says we shouldn't go into there. Well, God damn you. I'll tell you, I know exactly where you're going to be. You're going to be the bitch who's standing out there with a sign on behalf of the starving in North Africa in two years from now, saying, we've got to help these people. How do you think they got in trouble? You got three feet of black soil in Ukraine that that feeds half of that continent. And now you can't get to that. And it can't get to you. And you're complaining because you said we're hawks. So it's time to like buck up and say, what's the, what's really going on here? Um, No question. Putin will not stop if he's allowed to go on. Um, Why would he? And the question is asked very clearly by people who know more than I do in a film. Um, And then When we get caught up in, you know, what the media thing is. So you had just had this horror show, ongoing horror show in Israel. Mm -hmm. Get involved because these people are involved on your behalf. That's right. And there's the other part of it, the, the pushing leaderships to acknowledge the parts of their history or in some cases current policies that encourage some of the bad action so you've got to when the time comes in the time of your life to kill these militants have to be fucking killed this ugly horror show that doesn't mean there aren't some very serious things to be looked at within those you know those who are being attacked's leadership same in the united states we can think two things right i remember a fantasy i had of george bush after 9 11. i thought you know just just man just get up there look in the camera and tell america what you're going to do because you've already you haven't asked anybody's permission and you've told the white house counsel stay out of your life for a week and you're ready to go to jail if you're violating some law but unilaterally you've got special operators in Tora right now. And, um, we're going to kill them. We're going to kill every one of them. And I'll go to jail for it if I have to, because that's my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now we also got to start looking at how we affect extreme poverty around the world Mm -hmm. and create the fertile ground for this kind of evil. You know, I think we just got to make trendy, a little bit of nuanced thought, a little bit of the ability to, to look at both sides of a thing without being accused of somehow being an apologist for, uh, you know, one, one absence of good for another.
1: But at the same time, calling evil evil, there has to be a line that you don't get. forgiven. There's nothing more powerful in this world than forgiveness, man. And 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 yeah, I say
0: call it evil when it's when it's productive to do that. It's uh-huh. the same thing I think about when I you know I hear these people whose constituencies are solid for them, uh, and it's very hip that they call themselves a socialist. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I I always think about that, that if. Uh, if your granny can call nine one one when she hears somebody <laughs> breaking into her house yeah. and the police come, that's kind of a good thing, right? Yeah. And that's something we can all. The great, granny was saved because she could call nine one one. Then the question I have for people who get up, you know, all scared of socialism, yeah. then is which credit card did she use to pay them when they left? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there were times that you know it's such an indulgence to use words that we know are inflammatory, yeah. right? Let's take Israel, for example. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd be satisfied if nobody was calling it evil. But I'm very grateful that there are some who are just being more sober than to use any kind of uh, word that somehow to other people may show that you're not getting it.
1: I mean, one of the things that I'm sort of, left paralyzed with now is who the fuck is going to lead us out of this? Who who are they? Who is the person? Well, I do think do I
0: do think that the that the, that we're, look, we're not all leaders on that level and um, we're not all leaders in, in in even in small parts of our lives. Some of us are most of us hope to be and all of us are responsible to be. But not everybody succeeds at this for various reasons. But I do think the leaders are going to be dominantly, before noticing, let's say, that Putin is evil. Which, like, that's, on my, that's my level. I don't know that someone like Zelensky needs to take it that far. What Zelensky feels, and I saw it in him, and it was it was so refreshing, and I think it speaks to his leadership, his inherent gift uh, and courage uh, and clear mindedness as a leader, calm. He says, not very interesting." Yeah, that's, that's great. what he says about Buddha. And you, sit and you say, "I want to hear what else you got <laughs> to say," because. Yeah. That's true. So true. I just realized that's true. It sort of reminds me Bukowski had, had a poem about I saw a genius. I met a genius and you know he's riding the rail from Los Angeles to San Diego and you know this ocean it's, it's what it is this section of ocean it depends on the sky that day or the this but and we tell ourselves oh it's beautiful oh it's beautiful the ocean beautiful and He's riding the rail with a seven-year-old kid, and the kid looks at him at a certain point. They're both looking out the window of the train. The kid looks at him and says, it's not beautiful. To which Bukowski responds in the poem, it was the first time I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. And I think, so, yeah, I think that in, in a way that can speak to the genuineness of... This particular leader, Zelensky. I I've never seen him spin anything. I've never seen him rehearse, or or that there's a show of rehearsal. He, in, in, you know, in person talking mm-hmm. to him, there's no. you know, I understand that somebody's trying to sell something, whether it's a policy or or a pineapple. You know, they they had. You spend enough time with them, you're going to run into their script. Yeah. He's learning more every day. There's no that, that was an old script. Yeah, yeah. An incredibly fast study.
1: I think there's a difference between the world at war and a world war, where there are sides and there's uh, and 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 things are drawn out, and maybe one begets the other. Um, Look at two of the
0: two of the things that
1: I'll never have the answer to in total.
0: One. So there's that dynamic of those patriots, and I'll circle back to the point, that are determined and have the opportunity out of their hard work, courage in some cases, sense of service. uh, I will be more potent working from the inside and not worrying all the bureaucratic and political bullshit that i have to deal with call that Colin Powell right where there's a certain in my view like a certain tragedy to what happened for sure but i believe that that guy that's who he is took that bullet for this country now he lied he was a puppet in it but that you could see how that can happen in that bubble where If I step out, it's going to be worse, right? I can't resolve that. I can't say, hey, that guy's a sellout. I can't do it. I can't because, you know, the rest of us, you know, can, you know, you know, si se puede, but we can, you know, it's like, you got, so so when we're in these conversations about discussing, you know, compassion for Palestinians, first thing I would say is, well, what, what are you doing for anybody right now? <laughs> and most people are not really being very exciting in their um, fulfillment of their responsibilities as humans on earth today and, and as Americans and people who for the moment are with all the emotional division and war that's going on and war, war of words and the, and the assault on basic imaginary, imagination or language we still are breathing here imagine iran says well um let's take all of our resources and find a great incentive including cash and weapons for the cartels of mexico to invade the united states well then that would be very much like what the Israelis are going through right now, and would I would my first focus be on compassion for other innocents outside my home? Mm. Probably not, though I have always had um, what I believe it will become again the reasoned, necessary conversation about the incredible mistreatment of the palestinians their bad guys have done their their innocents and are doing now so much harm and, and 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 yet both sides are being punished by the inactivity of good people all around the world and in the united states as well and the lack of uh, curiosity to understand any of the dynamics like this and so we're all in this
1: yeah lack like of curiosity but 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 an absolute just just freedom to just espouse thoughts and, and make statements and, and 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 sing from the mountaintops waving your flag saying it's this way or the next
0: yeah and to talk from a, p- a place of, of such relative safety most of us right. yeah we know that we have communities that uh, are, are generations of of You know, war. We have communities where children have grown up in some version of war. So many guns on our streets, you know, kids killing each other, drugs and bullshit. Um, But I'm not very interested in the the self-righteous. We can talk, we can't talk about this, we can't. You know, if somebody's talking about something they're invested in, if there's somebody who actually takes the time to understand the dynamics of poverty among the Palestinians of of conflict of lack of you know sovereign territory and they want to talk about that I'm all for it I would hope that they would do speak about it in a way that respected the sensitivities and the humanity of these people who've lost family members and so on Um, and vice versa of course Mm -hmm. because now we're talking about the Israelis and, and, and the Palestinians. And guess who we're not?
1: Either of them. That's right. And 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 the one thing that I think that we've that at least we're trying to do here, man, is the one thing that I find in that, that that's pretty much uniform. In in anybody who's actually walked the walk, not just talk about it, is they come at it with a real empathy and respect and not run their mouth and that they understand that right. that, that that they've been in a situation that they've looked the so-called fucking enemy in the eye and said, you know what? Like, there's things about these people. There's things about these folks that I see in myself. There's things that I respect about them. There's things that that th- there's things that I see on my own side that are fucking bullshit. And you can only really come to that point when you actually walked in that valley. You can't do it just fucking cheerleading from the side. You just can't.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a, a combat veteran named Jake Harriman who has started a, a group called More Perfect Union. He's got a, a, a TED Talk where he... He is exactly the situation you're talking about the, at the Battle of Nazaria. So, he, his his unit uh, it could be said that they a, a were a forward military enforcement of, of uh, counterterrorism, and he came eye to eye with what that is, and, and and talks about extreme poverty in really clear terms. And it's one one of those things, sort of again like. Uh, it's not beautiful, you know, where to hear it from a clearly compassionate, uh, person, but who's facing it in a, I could get killed over this right now, yeah. my, my life, yeah. my memories of mom, yeah. my, That's right. everything's gone, yeah. um, and with courage, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good time to talk to people who uh, have been eye-to-eye with this stuff. And I'm not talking about me with my old camera making a documentary. I'm talking about the people who are living there in it, the soldiers who are in it. Uh, the, the rest of it, we should try to be as tolerant as we can be and try to see if the people talking about what they're talking about are serious people or if they're just jacking off, which I think there's just a lot of
1: come in the streets right now. A lot of that, yeah. When were you first aware of your own curiosity? Um, and, and I'm really interested in sort of the role it played in you as a, as a performer, as an artist, and how it's sort of transcended, how it's different. I think it's
0: fair to say that you know my father, who he and his crew during World War II they had a seven mission life expectancy. They were doing low altitude bombings over Germany. Shot down twice, both times got the uh, aircraft over Allied lines before they jumped. And and after seven missions, it was voluntary. And they they did thirty seven missions. Wow. And so this is a, you know, this is something growing up with it, Dad, like and the great generation, don't talk about it. No, he would have. I didn't ask enough. But, and 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 then and then getting blacklisted by the country he just risked his life for. Yeah. And never being bitter about it. You know, he just he loved this country and, and you know, immigrant parents and grew up there during the depression and he just felt that the blacklist was growing pains of a great nation. Hmm. Never bitter. I thought, man, I'd like to be that guy. That won't happen, but it's again an nice exasperation. So he must have influenced some desire to have purpose in this way, at least. You know, um, fortunately, war. We had to register for the draft, and when I, when I was seventeen, uh, but we were well out of range of it happening. Uh, of the, the war was dwindling down in Vietnam. I remember Emilio Estevez you know, took the position at because uh, he was in my high school, and we were friendly. He, he was a year younger than than me, I think. But he, yeah. you know, he burned his registration card. I thought, well, you know, I'll give him the registration card. I can decide about what you know if I'm a Quaker or not later. Yeah. And um, so that skipped us. There was no mandatory service, which I think is a shame. And by that I don't mean military service. I mean. You, you have to pick, you know, if you're not going to go to a, a school after high school, then you got to do two years of service. Because I think once a young person has that experience of helping someone, they know they matter and True. it never goes. Okay. We got a whole generation of people who don't think they matter, their vote doesn't matter, nothing they do matters. The next thing you know, they're jumping around the Capitol like monster idiots doing everything that destroys the notion of patriotism or community or care. Thinking they're doing something that matters. And, and, and some of that is, you know, it is true that many of them actually were in the service in some way, but mostly people who have been in service, whether it's military or a Peace Corps or whatever, if they do that, that formative time of their life, they really have had an experience of mattering. And finding that in our generation, there was no formalized thing. There was, you know, you're at the end of the war, you know, and your mission, your purpose, your service could have been to to oppose the war. Um, but then I was watching and seeing the people who opposed the war, you know, the hippies that I was fascinated with, and you know, uh, an anti-Vietnam family, and I adopted that feeling, agreed with it still that we shouldn't have been there but when when your heroes of the anti-war movement are now calling all these soldiers baby killers when they get back because they're you, you know that to go to war uh, if, if a military doesn't follow these orders you, you know there are unambiguous times but i can't say that that wouldn't have been an, uh, 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 difficult to uh, to see that they were doing the wrong thing until Later, and that wasn't their wrong thing. It's a policy thing. It's the same heroism that's in World War Two, for sure. And without people willing to go and to follow a chain of command, uh, we, we we would not be in this comfort zone that we're still, to a degree, in. That's right. So. Uh, um, tracking back to, so what happened to the peel of the onion that I found is of course I would go with this question. I'd say my dad had this impact on it. Um, and then, you know, I, um, 911 had an impact on it, but I, I, it, because we, memory plays its own games with us. It was very recently that I went back to, I know exactly what happened. It happened when I decided to be an actor. Yeah. Because I decided to be an actor, to play the story of Phil Oaks, which I never did, for various reasons. But my younger brother, five years younger, Christopher, he started. Even though we came from a, my mother and father were actors, and uh, um, my dad was a director for years in television, mostly television, and. That had no conscious impact on me wanting to be in it. I never thought that I would be in what they had done. I wanted to be, a. I wanted to be F. Lee Bailey. I was reading all his books in high school. and wanted to be a criminal lawyer. Um, until I graduated and realized that I didn't pay attention at school at all. And I'd have to go to junior college to make up credits to get into a decent school. So I wasn't going to be a lawyer. But I had by then started in the senior year. Um, doing what my younger brother taught me to do, which is make films with uh, Super 8, uh, you know, the magnetic strip sound. Can't you get this film with the sound right on it and you go make these little crime dramas and things like that. And so I still wasn't thinking I'm going to be an actor, but I was having to act in them because other people did their homework and we were shooting all night and instead before school. And could you get the ectochrome film and you could shoot like in Westwood where the, the storefront lights were glowing enough, you could, you could get exposure and shoot, you know, street crime shows. And um, so my younger brother was starting because he was fascinated with the Vietnam War. And he would get at 12, he'd get on the RTD bus and he'd look at a guy. And if that guy was of age and riding rapid transit, it was a pretty good bet. He had fought in, v- in Vietnam, yeah. and Christopher would bring these guys home, <laughs> and he'd be you know he'd be sitting around with a bunch of older veterans when he really? was 12, 13, 14, making these Vietnam movies with his friends and informed by these guys. And one Dude, of he'd those... be
1: shooting the movies, and he would have those guys. Yeah, fucking hey, man. Yeah fucking
0: a there's uh, there's actually a movie that, that that depicts this uh art art linson made a movie called the uh, wildlife that christopher's in but there's a relationship between this kid not played by christopher that that they based on christopher and his friends and this thing and randy quaid plays the um the veteran wow. so where does why am i spinning all of this around it's my long way of saying it is that I started to hear a song that he was using to score one of the scenes and it was a topical song and it really was, I thought, who the fuck is that? And I don't know what it was that got me, but then I started reading about Phil Oaks. and the guy who, you know, had a gig at Madison Square Garden that was going to put his record over the top and... But on his way to the garden, got a call that uh, the miners in Virginia need you, man. You've got to get down and play this rally for him. And next thing you know, there's people standing in Madison Square Gardens and where's Phil? Where's Phil? And he, he ain't going to make it, man. He's down in Virginia playing for the miners, you know, and, and it was just kind of like this. I don't know what it was, but I just got so fascinated with him. And then uh, he, this was 1978 77 and 78 and by the time i got the, the book about him and found that a year earlier at the age of 36 he'd taken his own life and it was i thought nah i could have found that guy i needed to know that guy and the things he could have written about the world going on now. I mean, just such a touched person. And I feel like he. You know, it's a speculation, but but I've come to know his family very well and his daughter and um, with the end of the Vietnam War, which he had fought with everything. in And he was a guy that wore a suit and tie and short hair. He thought, you know, you, if, they, if, they, if America has a choice between Richard Nixon and the hippies, they're going to take Richard Nixon, right? And, and, and I'm not going to be that, you know. <laughs> he has this one song, and I'll get back to the point. Uh, it says, I, uh, what was says, I, I cried when they shot Medgar Evers, tears ran down my spine. I cried when they shot Mr. Kennedy as though I'd lost a brother of mine. But Malcolm X got what was coming. He got what he asked for this time. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Wow. <laughs> but wow. he so even today I can't, you know, what what is that? Um, why is that what moved me, that guy? And he was my mandatory service. There was something that I I had to follow in that, in that guy. And uh which I guess led me, in, you know, down to the answer to whatever the answer is to that question or those kind of questions. It was it's like that one turning point. You know, people talk about it. That one teacher you had. That one. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing those things, these things, for better or worse, uh, and and I've done both, uh, better and worse. Um, but I'm doing them largely uh, out of, I don't know if you call it inspired by, but, but touched by, um, the
1: power that I, I felt through Phil Oaks. When did you start to see that your access could satiate your curiosity and what is it that's driving you? I mean, I know, I know for, there's a bunch of us, I know for me that, that kind of go into every time that I, I, I get the opportunity to, to, um, to, to, to play a role, you know, that that there's, I don't know whether it's a shame, but I, I go into each time thinking, shit, here, here, here I am. Um, I get this unbelievable opportunity and these people are opening up their lives to me and they're welcoming me in and they're, they're letting me know. They're letting me walk in their shoes a little bit. And then at the end of the day, I put some makeup on and say some lines. Mm. And for some reason, then I get celebrated that I can walk in any walk, but those are the guys that are really doing it. And there's this yearning the entire time to just try to touch on a reality that 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 they have. And mm. for me, the only way I could really explain that is there's always just a, it, it it's humility and that's sometimes a bit of a bit of shame. And I'm just wondering how, um, with research or, or or however it was, um, you, you know, when you first started to find access into digging into parts, mm-hmm. how that kind of plays into now, or whether there's a there, there's a. Congruous uh, sort of sort of road there. Does that make does that make any sense? Oh yeah, yeah. Look, I think most actors uh, that are
0: you know worth their salt, let's say, um, will also tear themselves apart with this stuff. You know, you, you you feel so much responsibility, and part of what what I think you're talking about, and, and I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you're talking about, is you know, am I a fraud? Is what we got to get past. It's one of the things we got to get past when we go there, and I think the biggest. And I got on on except for movies that I really don't like, you know, for whatever reasons. Things that I've done that I just think, oh, I think I'm awful at it or something else. If I take the movies that I'm proud to have been a part of, and reasonably proud of, or, or, or maybe more than that sometimes, what I was able to bring to the party uh, of, of a good movie, I'd want to do over in all of them. And the only adjustment I'd make is, is to not go, be close to the experience of when we have to do that, that chaos. And to just say, you know, don't get in the way of representing them by demanding to represent them. Mm. Them. Uh, the grocery clerk you're playing, the police officer, any, any, anybody, right? Just anytime that I have been proud, it's when I stayed out of the audience's way and kept my struggle with myself out of the audience's oh. way. They, This can, it should, there should be room. Um, and I think that to varying degrees, working to just be free of all of that is as an actor is when you feel it singing you know when you really and not only because you're singing but because you're really hearing this person and they're feeling hurt so they're singing in the scene and and, and we have those when we stumble on those things they're pretty instructive um so for example me here's a struggle i always had philosophically i haven't resolved it so i'll leave it to your listeners to decide but uh, if they're interested <laughs> um I, I was a terrible auditioner really terrible and i was a terrible auditioner well i would say for the same reason i, I wanted to do this interview here um, so i'm home and i always talked a lot at home um i've had people close to my life living in under my roofs, who had business cards made that they would just hand me after a couple of hours in a social gathering. And it only said, stop talking. <laughs> but until I was five years old, I never talked outside of my house. Mm. And I I didn't want to do something that I wasn't going to do well. And so I was waiting until I felt like I had something to say. Many would argue that you know that I should not have said anything ever. But you should say that really shy kid. Um, yeah, they called me Gary Cooper, in you know when I was in kindergarten and all of that. But I was not. I liked being in that. It was. Not, it was not at all a lonely thing. But it might have not. Been a very generous thing either that i wasn't engaging with other people in that way and i never was comfortable really with it um, until i found alcohol um i'm not a non-drinker i'm you know i i'm still not comfortable in, in most social circumstances now if i'm with people you know i like an uncomfortable situation i can have a great time but Generally speaking, yeah. the, 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 the bigger the crowd, the more lonely I am. So, going into an audition, person of that personality background, that felt really silly. You know, I'm gonna, that's pretend. Now I'm making pretend for yeah, these yeah. people. And I was terrible at it, I loathed having to do it. Um, but man, if I was legitimized by a paycheck, And the word action on a set, I could drop all of my inhibitions and feel almost like, well, the tangibility of an assassin. You just get in the zone, go, and kind of come out of it. And you say, wow, that's interesting. And you you do it again. And so it's it's all, you have me thinking about. You know, when it comes to honoring people that we play, yeah. and, you know, we already are them, right? We Everybody we're kind of around it. And it, I think of, for example, the greatest test ever for uh, any actor, and it should be mandatory in acting school, is uh, I want to hear you as an air traffic controller. You know, there's that thing. It's generally the same rhythm the same cadence it's it's as if it's the same person and the bounce back and forth even the humor when it's exchanged in those uh, interactions between pilots and air traffic control it, 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 that's gonna t- you want to know if somebody can be real have a marita seen as an air traffic controller and a pilot
1: Remember when you could fucking listen on planes, man. Yeah. When you could just listen to that the whole way, I listened to it the whole fuck. I used to be scared shitless of flying, man. I listened to that the whole fucking way. That's fucking great. But you know, man, like when when I, I just with the access thing, I, you know, the first film, the first film I ever did was uh, uh, World Trade Center, right? Oliver Stone, and you know, man, I I had, I had no idea. I didn't grow up around any actors. I had no idea about like research and that, you know, research to me was books, man. I I had no idea that Oliver was gonna take us down to the bus terminal and that we were gonna meet these Port Authority cops and that we could go out with them every day for a month, that he was gonna facilitate that. I had no idea that that was even a thing. And I got to know these guys. I played this guy named Chris Amoroso who died in the when, when the towers went down? He left the youngest widow and and and, and his daughter, uh, his his wife Sophia and, and, and his daughter Jamie, and uh, I met these two guys, uh, Sergeant Finney and, and Officer Fairbanks, who were his two best friends, right? And I couldn't believe the level of trust that these guys put, put in me, and and when we were doing that film, I had written a letter, I had written a letter to Chris's widow. Just asking for her blessing that I was going to be doing this, and 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 just to say, look, his memory is belongs to you. But if you want to be a part of memorializing this, you want to talk to me about Chris, I would love that. And I'm just some shitbag actor from, from from Hollywood, and 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 this, uh, you, you you know, uh, this is sacred to you. And you know, the studio, I was just, you know, the studio shut it down. The producer said you can't reach out and. In the film, they had ended up taking all of the wives and the and and uh, the the children's names out of the movie, and and they had completely taken that part out because the wives had gotten together and said they didn't want to be a part of it, and that had uh, it had bothered me so much that I couldn't reach out to her, hmm. and then on my last day uh, of that month of going around with Finney and Fairbanks, uh, they say, hey, we got a surprise for you, kid, and they 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 put me in a car and they took me out to to her house. And I got to meet her, and, and and now we've kept in touch, and we've become. And uh, you, you use the word access. Uh, I, I I couldn't fucking. I mean, to me at that point, cops were guys that beat me up. Cops were got like I I didn't you know. But but I I had uh, my, the power to, to 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 change your entire fucking idea of of, of people, and and the power of getting, going into their lives and being able to walk among them and walk with them, and and for me that's always been my. Uh, armor that's mm-hmm. always been, if if I can do that, then I can walk in there and I can do anything. If I can walk among them, if I can call them friends and share space with them. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, I guess that the, the I felt that now and, and, and I see it now that, you, you know, on a small scale, people know who the fuck I am and what that does and what that, that allows me to have the kind of conversations I have and how much richer my life has gotten, how much better of a dad I've become, better friend, better husband, better, I'm, I'm so unbelievable, more, more so than, 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 you know, my dream of being able to, you know, raise my kids because I get to do the thing I love more than anything else in the world. This access is in, is incredible. And I guess there's a, there's a commitment to, 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 to researching these roles and to, to, for a means for the end. And I'm just wondering at a certain point, did this lead to what you're doing now? Was it, are they, are they they the same? Probably the
0: same hunger and probably the same satisfaction of curiosity, but also I think because you and I have, probably benefited a great deal from caring about what we do and therefore including whatever I can eat to do it well, right? And we also know that in the mechanics of filmmaking, so for example, um, uh, Bradley Cooper has a a moment in American Sniper where he's taking his uh, sniper rifle down or packing it away. And in in just that moment, he's handling that weapon in a way that licenses everything else itself in just that moment, right? We know a lot of times we'll go out and do the the research on everything, and sometimes it gets in our way on the movie, and you're sitting there and you're telling the director, that's not how they do it, and yet this little poetic license is going to make the scene... works work or not and you got to tell a whole lifetime in two hours and there's going to be shorthands and so sometimes the the the, you know that hunger for the reality to to represent it to honor it you know can we can lose track and sometimes it's about and this is just a learning curve for me where you try to get selective about the things at the same time the thing that's most important more than everything's got to be just like the real thing which generally speaking, does get in the way. There's the confidence that comes with having put in the time and to be able to offer options based on observations that you just had by being so focused on it. And I saw this, um, what had to be extemporaneous, um, um, closing argument of a debate. And it had to be extemporaneous because there was no way that this person could have known where the debate was going to go. And it was a debate on political correctness with sort of um, odd um, bedfellows, as it were, uh, partnering on one side of the debate about political correctness. And that was the partnering of uh, Stephen Fry with Jordan Peterson. Mm And on the other side, it was Michael Eric Dyson and Michelle Goldberg of the New York Times. And at the end of it, Stephen Fry, and God, I recommend this to everybody to see. Just look up Stephen Fry, Closing Argument. He summarizes, and it's an indirect way of addressing what we're talking about, but I don't want to give away too much, but he, he talks about that there's a kind of obligation to a certain... People will find it ironic that I'm saying this. Um, lightness. And he's celebrating uncertainty, admitting that he, he he's opposed to anything, any orthodoxy. And and as it relates to acting, um, the orthodoxies, especially as young actors, can get us into trouble. And, and I think I recognized that pretty early on. So that, for example, I'll tell you two it's funny stories. Well, three chapters. One was the first movie I did was Taps at a military academy. I'm going to tell you, we didn't. We, they, they sent us through that training and we were taking it so seriously. I must have been 21 years old, 22, whatever I was. My last scene in that movie, I played the, the best friend of the leading actor, Tim Hutton. And then we've got this one crazy guy who Tom Cruise played who's starting a riot, a war with the National Guard. I'm trying to, I'm kind of the conscience for Tim to try to tell him not to get in trouble with this thing. And uh, so all these cadets have taken over the military school. They've gotten into the armory and they got, she has got like an M60 and Tom Cruise does in the window. Looking down at the National Guard, he's just wants a war. And Tim Hutton in that dramatic last scene sees him as tom cruise looks up at us and says it's beautiful man beautiful and he starts the, the the gun tim does the kind of classic no moment you know and runs and jump and i see my best friend tim going for for the the tom cruise character and i would i just want to get him and i and so so here's what happens i get to set now the wall is all squibbed it's all you know they took Five hours of the previous day to pre rig it with all these automatic weapon fire. And uh, and so we're uh, we're going to re- walk it through once before. Let's get, make sure the it's guys. By, and Tim goes racing in and they say, bap, 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 bap. You know, they're not setting them off yet. Right. And I hit the deck and I start scrambling to, to get to Tim and grab his body, pull it, but because he's been shot. And I'm supposed to grab him, pull him out. And I'm. Dragon. and, and Sean, Sean uh, it, it, you, you just went right out of the shot yeah, Har- Harold Becker uh, who's, who's, uh, is still a great friend today and, I, and he, he said just you know it basically wanted me to run through the hail of gunfire and I argued like I had been in the business my whole life <laughs> and it was a the producers were brought down. they did like like, this was not gonna happen. I, I'm not gonna do this. And I had never heard this thing before, which is, look, do one this way, and then we will re-rig the wall, you know, and we'll do, you know, a- and we did. Well, I go to the Avco Cinema, and when the movie comes out and I'm sitting in the back row and I'm watching the movie and I've never seen a movie I was in before. And just at the moment that I am going to Tim, the guy having no idea that the actor playing this role in front of him was sitting behind him. This guy says, hit the deck, asshole. And, and that set me up for not listening to directors for a long time. Um, and then, and sometimes still, uh, but, but on this kind of, you know, this devotion to the craft, if, if there were a movie about actors researching, yeah, there's been, there's been a comedy about it. Yeah, yeah. It's not as funny as mine. Yeah. So here's what happened. So I told you months out with uh, LASO and with uh, LAPD yeah. and so sheriff's office, I suspect to a degree, still it, it was known as kind of being more no nonsense. They didn't. They didn't have a civilian police commission. The, the sheriff usually stood behind his guys, and, and they and they would. Um, um, some might use the term violate civil rights more often. Um, but they were definitely uh, an effective uh, intelligence gathering group. They were taking on some of the tougher areas of the city and I, I think to be fair they were pretty tough but it was it was in at that time remember we're talking about the early 80s. it wasn't like today. I mean it was once you know I was out two nights with these guys and things would get hairy sometimes. they did not have a problem letting me hide a weapon under here in case they something happened to them and you know the actor you today try that um but they were i wouldn't have done it without them being aware of it and <clears throat> so okay so it was every other night with one department or the other there's a sergeant I, I i'm assuming he's retired now and wouldn't mind me telling the story but i i promise that this can be um uh, research not on google but these people are around because too many of them not to too many witnesses <laughs> so this is the opening scene of the movie about the actor prepares yeah so i've spent all this time and i'm you know it's interesting and, and this guy would let me ride around just with him and we'd do warrants yeah. you know he'd say well you got a warrant on this guy you want to do this you want? so one day we're rolling around and i was wearing a the uh the windbreaker. And I had a uh a four inch thirty-eight caliber that I would keep underneath it here. Mm-hmm. And we um we see these guys standing out in front of a van in front of a little house down in, uh in, uh, in the, um in the south central Los Angeles area. And I won't say which color, but they're wearing either red or blue. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh but he say jack him up. The sheriff's office, tactically, they would. I, I don't. I don't know if they still do, but they would either either you were over the car, or down on your knees, fingers interlaced, and he would be behind. He, and he had them all, like that. My job was to secure the van. That would, so there's the house, the van, the guys. So he's one police officer, one sheriff's deputy, and an actor and so i've got my flashlight again like this and i go per training to the the blind spot which is between the back panel windows and the side panel windows and i've got the the light and i know probably the drugs you've been told they're going to be up inside the the door handle or they're going to be here and like the night before i'd also be close you see you see a gun you say gun right? And I come and I'm going to do what you, you'll know what this is, a, a quick peek, right? So nobody's reflexes are fast enough if the wall's here. I can get around here and see what's going on before you're going to be able to pull a trigger or something. Well, I pick the night because I go like this and I go from blind spot. I do the quick peek and a gun is pointing right at my face. I say, gun. <laughs> now he has five guys, or about five guys. And they're all prone out, facing the street. Oh, not prone out. They're on their knees. And he can't get out of the line of fire of that van. Yeah, I'm now back under in cover. He's on his radio and he's you know calling the cavalry. And all of these guys, the cavalry who will come, they know, knew me because some of them had been training me. And he kicks each of the guys who's on their knees, he kicks them down on the ground because he doesn't want any of, the, he hasn't even got to search them all yet. And so they're on the ground. They're complaining somewhat, but they're on the ground. His gun is on them. And suddenly a lot of police cars are showing up. And I'm seeing faces that I know. And... They're giving me hand signals. They want me to, what I read is now some time has passed. They want me to uh, um, do one more quick peek because that person could have moved just to identify where which part of the van because they got me, they don't want to hurt. Yeah. They got him in a line of fire. So I might now just peek it. And again, this is the, in the 1980s and reconfirm position and get under the van and stay there because we they got shit to do yeah and now it's daylight because now there's a helicopter over this whole scene
1: right and i
0: and i check and the gun of course was still pointing at me because it was my reflection oh shit oh shit (laughs) And all of this oh, chaos shit. was because I saw a gun. Oh, shit. That was, uh, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> so you think I got ragged for a little while oh,
1: on that? Shit, that's the fucking greatest.
0: Yeah. And for years, sometimes I'd run into some guy with a mustache. He'd say, "You know, <laughs> I was I was a young cop at that time. Uh, I was there that night." That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's gonna destroy. I'm never gonna let an actor go on a ride along again now that oh, I've given this that's interview. So fucking good
1: <laughs> oh, that's so the cool. most
0: humiliating moment anybody me, could ever have
1: wow dude holy shit <laughs> it's all about how you get back up john yeah there you go brother there you go yeah you you have time for a couple more now sure what do you think about movies today like where do you think we're at now what's better about show business now what's worse uh what's the state uh are there truth tellers now uh are there artists right now that you really admire um what do you think about it? Because I, I, I just don't know that we, for me, at least from where I sit and I think of you and the things that you've done and and, and of this like generation of, of, of the greats of my heroes. And I don't really know who's, who else is out there. I, I'm I'm tremendously uh, worried about it and, mm-hmm. and I'm worried about the attention span of the audience. I'm worried about what people, the, the shit that's being made, the shit that I'm reading. Um, I just like to know what your thoughts are.
0: Well, Okay, let's start with the good stuff. Okay. Right? So, you know, we're sitting here most certainly, uh, you know, not without child LaBeouf and my having stumbled on that great conversation the two of you had, you know, the vodka tonic at night and uh, turning on the television. And um, I just saw, have you seen the play that he's going to do? Well, so I think that that's a zone um, that would have been extraordinary at any time in cinema or theater. Mm -hmm. So there are people operating at a really high level. When I mentioned the Stephen Fry thing, you know, part of, he talks about young people being very anxious because they don't know how to operate, how to navigate what they can say, what they can't say he talks about diversity and that those who are pushing diversity um, are pushing it in a very undiverse way. You you, you know, you, you can't be diverse in your language, um, in your behavior. It's a kind of, you know, I don't want to be necessarily officially associated with a lot of people who, Maybe in this topic, I agree about a lot of it, but um, I I think we're doing ourselves an incredible disservice by thinking in that way, which will make us popular um, amongst the loudest. It's less colorful and it's less challenging. And when things are um, limited in, you know, through the kind of, um, uh, what would you call it, Uh, peer pressure and careers at risk um, when people can be pigeonholed as less than um, as easily as today, it's going to affect the movies. It's going to create an invisible sense of self-censorship. It's going to decrease the magic. And so we're giving the magic to machines. You and I could go to anywhere in any group today, and if we sort of benignly bring up Lenny Bruce, everyone at the table is going to say, oh God, he was a genius. He was a genius, because that's what they know makes them kind of hip to that generation. Right? Then you start running through some of his routines for them. You're comfortable now? Right. Because he was a genius. Right. And he was funny. And good luck trying that now. Um, Again, it goes back to if we're going to take ourselves so seriously, if we're so dangerous to ourselves and others because we have an odd thought that Maybe it takes a little bit of a thick skin from one group of people. Maybe I'm in that group. You know, get over it. It's funny. Yeah. You know, if it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. But yeah, so cinema is that de- is devastatingly affected by that. Yeah. Um, and again, we are. It's kind of like George Orwell. We were all afraid of Big Brother, and then we we didn't because we we thought that Big Brother was other. But now we are Big Brother. On, doing it to each that's other, that's crazy. Get on that little cell phone and do the... So I'm not uh, I'm not happy with the state of that. There's still magic being made. There's still some people who defy this stuff, you know. Um, I don't think that I would uh, be uh, functional without a little Bill Burr here and there. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. There's, obviously, I'm not going to be able to re- try to represent everybody in this. But it extends to any uh, group that within every group, we have to find the, the, the balance that celebrates the individual, that the individual isn't always having to represent their group. They get to be a person too. So sort of like the Philip Roth, Human Stain book. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw this documentary that Elvis Mitchell made on the history of black cinema. And, um, and there's some scenes, because my my father made two movies in his life, feature films. And the first one was 1965, a man called Adam. And it was a black film. White director in that case. And it's 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 covered briefly in in uh, in Elvis's documentary. But so this should not be on um the quota or the cultural quota. Yeah to make sense. Because this quota they're like do, do doing the right thing. But this should be on recognizing how important it is, it is to us. Right. And, and, um, so I think it's the wrong paradigm that we're moving to get it right. It's the right thing I, you know, in theory. Yeah. But the paradigm should be like when we wake up and take responsibility, we, we will want and need that in the culture. Instead, the uh, political correctness that uh, is now embedded in so many people's. Um, you know, it's a I, 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 I just think it's a really dangerous and, and, and we, what we'll do is we'll give up American cinema for cinema around the world that is just going to not be so bothered with it. You know, when I hear um, arguing about pronouns here while and I say it in the movie, well, kids are being vaporized. Yeah. Lucky you, you get to argue about, you know, grammatically incorrect things. I, you know, I, it's just silly. And I feel for people's, you know, um, solo journeys with things that, you know, gender identification, things like that. And uh, I, I don't like uh, the activist thing about it. And and uh, and I think it's a bad thing for culture. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. soon. Uh, I just don't know. There's like, but like I said, there's still some uh, great things coming around. You try to pick them. Yeah. Pick as an audience or as a practitioner.
1: Uh, what if you if you had a single one thing out? When the first thing that pops in your mind when I say what what are you most proud of? What would that be? in film or in my in life? life
0: well there was a movie a long time ago called uh, The Gumball Rally and um, I, I think it was uh, I think Raul Julia was playing the part I saw it when I was a kid amidst his you know, cross country race and he's not Italian but he's playing an Italian uh, driver right there. Um, God forbid uh, anybody but a danish prince play hamlet (laughs) Um, and he's he's driving his car and he's got each it's a team they have teams in the cars and first thing he does is he he grabs the rearview mirror pulls it off and checks it out the back of the car's draft at 120 miles an hour and he looks at the other guy and says was through the of italian driving what's behind you does not matter, <laughs> you know so i'm a little like that and mm-hmm. so i guess you know where i am today uh, what i'm most proud of um is always my kids and in my work it's this movie um um superpower is for me the best film i've been involved with and can be um i think uh, a, a, a participant in, in moving the dial on this Republican Congress and where we go with the next period of time. I just really uh, believe that not only pr- principally, but, but politically, the win is uh, overspend if we have to, enact defense production if we have to, n- to not diminish our stockpiles in, in a dangerous world, but we should be taking care of getting everything uh, that Ukraine needs to them yesterday. And, mm-hmm. and if I'm a young person in America and I remember all those Ukrainian flags flying outside and our parents and our teachers and our leaders all committing to Ukraine with so much, uh, bigger, um, I would sure benefit from seeing them follow through and, and the, 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 the back and forth and, and the kind of trickle in, trickle out and, uh, it would just make me not believe in anything and um, not believe that there was a generation of courage that preceded us and not be inspired to carry it over into mine and to my kids. And, and I just think that, that if you want to increase mental health, uh, tell them how much you love them, call that the, the support the Ukrainians, and then uh, don't give the love later and you will have mental health problems. And wow. so. Yeah, so that's, uh, I hope this film will just bring people's attention to it. They don't have to agree with my opinions that stated within the film. The film is kind of crafted to also just let somebody who didn't have time to uh, go over to Ukraine, like, you know, get in my sidecar with me and see, see what they see. Yeah, well, thank
1: you, thank you for doing this. Thanks, man. Thank you, I really
0: appreciate it. Thanks. I jabbered. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks.